if you have your Bibles, we're going to study and we're going to get into um, our study going through First Peter. And um, we're, we're kind of looking at his life and this letter through the lens of he's been through a lot as a disciple who's journeyed with Jesus and has navigated the times where he succeeded at listening and following and, and learning from Jesus' teaching and also the times where he failed miserably. And just kind of looking at that and kind of um, drawing some connections between our lives and, and his. And uh, so hopefully um, this is uh, challenging and you get to learn some new things about who, who Peter is as a result of our time together. So um, growing up, before we get into this passage... Um, how many of you guys had a, like, uber-clean household? Okay. <laughs> so there's a couple of you guys. I did not, uh, just to give some context before I share this story about my buddy. Um, our house wasn't dirty, but it wasn't clean, okay? Let me just put it that way. Like, we were somewhere in the middle, okay? Um, and, uh, and my parents, like, they, there was nothing really in our house that was, like, untouchable. Like, there wasn't things, like, on a shelf that you're like, don't ever go near that, mom will lose her mind. Everything was just, like, kind of free game. It was pretty mellow. They were pretty hippie growing up. So, um, it was, uh, it was pretty free range. So, um, I was in probably sixth grade. Um, I was playing with a group of friends every day after school, and one of those friends said, hey, do you guys want to come over to my house and play at our house, at my house, and we'll we'll play video games. And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. So we go to his house and we get to the front door and his mom greets us and she's like, whoa, stop. Hold on. And you can probably see where this is going. Um, she's like, you guys need to take your shoes off, your socks off. You need to come in and you're going to wash your hands in a certain way. And here's the towels for washing your hands. And then we proceeded into the living room where the TV was and we were going to play games. And the couch and I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody, okay? <laughs> but the couch had plastic over the couch. So you could not, like when you sat on the couch, you're like crinkled and you sat down and you're like, am I going to break something? I'm going to ruin something? And I just felt so awkward. And I just remember that experience. It's still stuck in my mind, right? Needless to say, we never played at this kid's house ever again. Um, <laughs> we always played at someone else's house um, and we never went back. And this isn't a jab at those of you that like a clean house. I'm okay with a clean house. That's great. But what I want to point out is we never went back, and it wasn't because the cleanliness. I'm okay with cleanliness. Like, it's fine. But there was something about the environment. There was something about it that communicated a message that you're not quite welcome. That, like, you can be here, but don't mess stuff up. Like, you mess things up, you're out. And, um, and as we read this passage, I want you guys to look through it through this lens and begin to see the kind of community that Peter is calling us to be, okay? So First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, it'll be on the screen. You can follow along there if you want, um, or in your Bible app or your actual Bible, like I'm doing. Um, so let's dig in. Verse 4, so as you come to him, the living stone rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. This is the kind of household that he's talking about, okay? So now you kind of see where it's going. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And here's where he goes. For in Scripture it says, this is something that he's like building on a familiarity that the people would have had, the listeners, the, the readers of this letter. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. 
If you want to highlight, if you have that ability, underline cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey this message, which is also what they were destined for. Beautiful line. Like, we're going to talk about that one. I love it. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Oh, it's so poetic, right? It's beautiful. It's like this call to the kind of household we are to be, a holy priesthood, set apart, unique, okay? So I want you to think back on your household and what that was like growing up. What, what was it like for visitors? What was it like for people to come in? Were there unwritten rules about how you act in your home? Were there, was there things that your parents expected of you and expected of your friends when they came over? That, um, that you remember that stand out as like very unique. And it could be good or it could be really bad. But we all have households shaped in a certain way. The Wells household, I'm sure there's things that people come in and they're like, what's up with the cat? Or I don't know, like whatever. Like, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, there's things in, a, in every household. Like if we go into your household now, there's certain things that you do that are unique to your home that... Um, are either welcoming to others or keep others at bay, that are either um, super helpful to what it means to build community and to, for your family to thrive, or maybe very damaging and destructive. And you might be like, yeah, there's things I want to change. There's things in our family that, like, no family's perfect. I want to start out with that, okay? Uh, what? Really? Um, there's things in our family that we're working through and trying to figure out, like, how do we how do we have a household that operates in a way that's the best possible way that allows us to thrive and allows others to thrive when they enter in our household? So all that to say, let's talk about households, okay? Because what he calls us to and what he's calling his people to in the early church um, was a household, a holy priesthood, a set-apart people where he's like, once you were not a people, but now you are. Now you're unified by this common call of being the body of Christ, of being the church, right? And the church is not this building. That's why we really don't care a lot about buildings, and we don't care a lot about, like, I don't know, presentation. We got some cheap lights, you know? Like, we're like, that does not matter. What matters is the relationship, the people, the community, the family of God that is now unified by Jesus. And he hits on that over and over, talking about the cornerstone, okay? So, based on what I see in Scripture and what I see in the Gospels, Jesus was always a household that was inviting, that was inclusive, right? Like, the kind of home that Jesus created, and don't think of a building or a house, like, the kind of world, the kind of community that he created, this royal priesthood, it unified people in this way that was like a kingdom kind of way. It was different than the culture that we live in right now that says, do things on your own, be as solo as you possibly can, watch out for number one. This was the kind of community that says, no, we're going to watch out for one another. 
We're going to care for one another's needs. Um, this was a, a temple, so to speak, not a literal temple, but a temple that now he says the Holy Spirit resides in, that he lives in and through us, right? Where everyone is included and welcomed. Everyone. Regardless of your background, regardless of how dirty your hands are, my hands are dirty. Not literally right now. Maybe they are, but we all have dirty hands in some way. We all come into this home broken, somehow thrashed by this world, informed in, in positive ways and really negative ways, all kinds of stuff. We all come with our baggage, and what, what he says is, you're included. You're welcomed into this. You're all welcome. That's the kind of space that we long to be and that we want to continue to press into, and that's what he's saying. You guys are this, this unique household, this unique place where people are invited into, and so we come to this with, with humility. Um, the disciples, what we see Jesus doing as he interacted with the disciples was modeling what the kingdom of God looked like. Like, this is the way that we operate. This is the way that we treat one another. This is the way that we are going to approach life. Um, and so Peter would have been used to experiencing that on a regular basis. And I know we see that as like, yeah, he, he journeyed with Jesus. He, he learned from him. He, he heard his teachings over and over. But he learned what it meant to be that kind of community. He learned what it meant to fail and still be included, right? Peter failed more than any other disciple. We talked about the very, like when we first started this series. He failed more than anybody, and Jesus still included him, still brought him back, still wove him into what he's doing. And that, to me, speaks to what kind of community Peter understood we are called to be, that we are invited into. And so, Peter would have heard over and over these teachings and this understanding of what it means to be this community. And in Matthew 18, there's a really long teaching that Jesus does where he responds to what is the kingdom of God? Like, what is this community that he's inviting us into? What's this household look like, essentially? What are the rules of the house, right? Do you have to wash your hands when you walk in? Like, what do you do? And he says, therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that word, kingdom of heaven, we were talking about this week, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is used interchangeably all throughout the New Testament. Um, it's in 10 of, the, um, 10 of the books in the New Testament. And Jesus uses heaven and God interchangeably. Um, like he, he uses kingdom of God more often. But, and then he says, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So in this household, in this kingdom, humility is like, is priority. Humility is everything. So the kind of people that he says is like, whoever welcomes in the least of these. And in that culture, children weren't considered like highest priority, right? So he says, whoever welcomes in, like he's using that as an illustration, whoever you welcomes in, whoever's in the least in the, the hierarchy of priority, he says, that's the kind of people that I want in this household. And that's how we're going to treat people in this household. Like, we're going to be welcoming to all. Like, this is, this is the kind of community we're going to be. And, um, and so Peter would have heard that over and over and would have understood that, that teaching of, like, what the kingdom of God is and the kingdom of God that, like, that just is different than the culture. It doesn't operate the same way. And again, using that, that analogy of household, like, every household operates differently. In the household of Jesus, he says, we welcome people in. We welcome them in. We bring them in, and it should be 
a safe place for people to grow and begin to encounter God and be transformed. We are unified by that kingdom kind of way. That that's, we are, that's what we are invited into and what we're called to. Love for these people. <clears throat> it goes on, and you guys see it on the screen, this, he talks about in verses 6 through 8, this idea that there's this cornerstone that the builders rejected. So our culture rejects this sort of way, is what he says. Um, and he, he goes on and he says it's like a, um, they stumble because they disobey this kind of teaching. And so the household rules that Jesus ultimately invites us into causes people to stumble. And what that means is, we've, we've all experienced it before in some way. What it means is living according to the kingdom of God requires a sacrifice, right? It requires us to invite in people that may not be the easiest to be around. It requires us to love sometimes the unlovable, right? Or what our culture would say is unlovable. It requires of us to give of our time, to give of our effort, to give of our energy, our, everything about us towards others. And what our culture says is very, very contrasting to that, right? Our culture says, watch out for number one. And so when he talks about rejecting it, it wasn't like, I don't like that, I like this. It's, I like myself better than I like taking care of others, right? And what we see in the kingdom is this way that helps people thrive. And so as we discover more and more the kingdom of God and as we discover the ways of Jesus, I believe that we'll start to see that the household and the way the house rules of Jesus really ultimately help everyone thrive. It's this kind of way that, that is good, right? That we would all say, yeah, that's, that's the right way to treat people but we default so quickly to what the culture calls us to and what the culture invites us into. And so when he talks about this being like a cornerstone and a, um, a capstone, um, I think that that helps shape our understanding of how this, this truth, this way of living, this household rule helps us thrive. And to take that a little further, like this idea of a capstone, because Jesus talks about it over capstone and cornerstone. And so the capstone idea, um, did I throw that image of the pizza oven? Okay, so I built a pizza oven in my backyard because I love pizza and I love cooking and I love just um, how amazing wood-fired anything is, right? And so spent some time like just deep diving into Google and YouTube as to how to build pizza ovens. And I couldn't find the original picture, but I have a picture of like the initial process where I had this back wall built. Don't be distracted by the pizzas. I know you guys, you're probably hungry at this point, but just ignore that, okay? Um, but I had this back portion of it built, and then this, this actual part, this first row of bricks going. And I was like, how does this work? How do we begin to make this whole thing like hold together and be strong? And really, it comes from this idea of a capstone. And so you can see this one piece right here, it's smaller than all the other ones. It's the capstone. It's the one that is cut perfectly, which took me forever with a grinder, slaving over that little one brick right there to get it to set in there and hold the other ones up where they were so that when you take the form out that was actually sitting underneath there, it would all still be strong. And so that piece is crucial to the, all the other pieces holding together. And so that's the illustration that Jesus gives us of him being that piece 
right? That took all that work to get it in there perfectly so that it's not too small, not too big, but it's perfect for holding up all the other bricks. And all the other bricks would be, take your guess, you and I. Like, we all get to be participants in that, right? Like, we are that temple that he calls us to, that holy priesthood. And so what he says is, abide by me. Like, listen to my ways, my teachings, my truth, because then you'll begin to discover that this whole thing becomes not just a cool idea, like a cool teaching or a concept that like, yeah, peace, love, but it's like, no, this is the way that creation is woven together. This is the way that it works. Without it, the whole thing falls apart. And you guys know the culture, it's falling apart, right? Like the culture screams out for this kind of structure that says, we're going to love one another. We're going to care for one another's needs. We're going to watch out for others and not just myself over and over. And so when he talks about being a capstone and then a cornerstone, this next analogy is, um, to best explain it, is it's what guides the corners of the home. That if I just randomly throw out corners somewhere and start building, you're not going to have square walls. Nothing's going to work, right? And um, we're actually in the process of like redoing our fence. It's fallen down. It's just super rickety. And we discovered that our fence lines weren't in the right spot. Like the corner marks were in the wrong spot. And so when they built the fence, it's 20 feet off from where it should be. So I get 20 more feet in my yard, which I'm like, that's crazy. That's awesome. We were like, yes. And the neighbor was cool that, that's behind us. He's like, yeah, I, I guess I, I see that. That's wrong. We've been <laughs> stealing 20 feet of your yard this whole time. So let's, let's change it. But those corner points decide where, where you build. And if you don't know where those are at, you're just kind of winging it and you end up in the wrong spots. And so what, what he does is he uses this reference of like cornerstone, capstone, all because those have structure to them. They have a way that helps you then build. And when we talk about building, we're talking about building life, that we're constantly building life. Like, we all build life around something, Um, whether it's a positive thing that helps you grow and become a better human being, or if it's something that is self-destructive or whatever it is, right? We build our lives around things. Um, And so what he says is, "I I want you to build around the cornerstone, the capstone, because these are good, because these are not just um, concepts that sound great and don't really pan out. These are like things that really change your life. And so I want to show you this quote from, you're going to hate me, Dallas Willard. Um, <laughs> but um, he, he challenges this because he, he comes from a very, um, I don't know, like a way of like looking at scripture and saying, how does this line up with like real life? Like, how does this become like a tangible thing? And so what he says is, what you want is not just faith because you can believe stuff and still be wrong, right? We can believe all kinds of things and be wrong about them. Like, I'm sure if we all started to really test all the things that we know, like, oh yeah, it's way off on that. Um, That's where knowledge comes in. It is so important for the church to reclaim knowledge in our day. It is one of the greatest issues facing the church is whether we have knowledge or do we just have belief, right? So like, do we know these things? Do we know that Jesus is the capstone and the cornerstone? Do we know that loving one another is the best possible way? Or is it like, yeah, that's what I learned and it sounds cool and I don't really stake my life on it? And what he says is like the church needs to be the kind of place that says, no, this, this is it. Like, we believe this, and this is transforming life for people around us. And 
Um, one of the things we want to start doing is sharing stories about how God's been transforming lives. I was talking to Chris last week, and he was sharing stories about like how God's transformed his life and, and like things I didn't even know about like in this time that he's been journeying with us as a church. And I'm like, that's God, like, that's not just, like, a faith concept of, like, Jesus is great, and I'm going to follow it. It's like, no, Jesus transformed my life, and here's why. And it's very tangible. It's very real. And so, when he talks about us being this kind of community and being, you know, connected to the cornerstone and the capstone, like, this is life-transforming stuff. This isn't just a theory. And so, um, how does this flesh out? I I recently have been doing like a little research on this last year because of how heavy it's been for our culture and our world. And, um, and there's a silent killer that a lot of the research shows, and it's this idea of isolation. And this idea that when people are isolated, when they don't have community, when they don't have the Jesus household, so to speak, right? Or if they're stuck, isolated in a dysfunctional home, there's very destructive things that happen to our soul, right, our minds, and even physically that then that begins to take, manifest itself in anxiety, depression, suicide, all these different things, right? So isolation isn't just like a, wow, yeah, it's tough being by myself. No, that's like when you're separated from community that is, and not just community, but like, because you can be in an unhealthy community, right? But if you're separated and you're in an unhealthy community, like, that is just like a recipe for disaster. And so I started looking up um, some things, and um, the number of people looking for help with anxiety and depression skyrocketed from 2019 to 2020, right? We, all, we would all, like, say, like, you could probably guess that. And it said it increased by 62%. That that's how many people are going, like, how do I deal with this? Like, Googling it, searching it, going, I need to find a way. And they're saying that the majority of the research that has gone into that, that that is a result of isolation. That people are depressed, anxious, um, suicidal because of the fact that we have been isolated so much. And so isolation, we downplay it and we just, we're like, oh, you know, it is what it is. Like, we're independent. We're a culture that just, you know, we do things on our own. Um, Pull myself up from my own bootstraps, right? Like, I do it on my own. I, like, I'm going to be a strong, independent person. But really, what we see here, and I think what we, what we see tangibly lived out is that we need the Jesus household. We need the Jesus kind of community, the holy priesthood. Like, this is where it becomes a reality that we need community. We need one another. And, and we can't somehow, like, just downplay it, like, I don't have time or it's, it's difficult. Yeah, it will be difficult, and it will require time, but that's relationships, and those relationships ultimately point to a way of thriving. And so um, let me close with these three things, and I have a couple questions that, oh, I should have thrown the notes. I totally forgot. Um, but these three things that I think Peter points to and what he understood and what he would have learned sitting with Jesus, um, and the first one being abiding, that this, this idea of abide in Jesus. Like if he's the cornerstone, if he's the capstone, if we're going to abide in him, we will experience more of the thing that transforms our life, right? So in John 15, 4, it says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. You will not experience the fruitful life. You will not experience the building that is structurally sound unless we really put our trust 
in abiding, abiding in Jesus, like sitting with him and listening. And the second thing would be set your mind on things above. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, therefore, since you have been raised with Christ, so again, it's that like putting our trust in the cornerstone, strive for the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. Again, it's another reminder. The earthly things are destructive. It is. Like, we have to recognize that there's, as much as we get convinced that, these, that some of the things in our culture are good for us, they're not. But what Jesus says is, like, abide in what he's doing, set our minds on the things that he's up to constantly. And then lastly, I would say, like, the connection. We have to connect as a body to thrive. And this is Ephesians the whole chapter, if you want to go back and read Ephesians 4 sometime this week, it's beautiful. It's this like invitation and reminder of like why the body of Christ is so important, like why we need the different parts. Like every one of you are unique. You bring things to the table that I can't bring and vice versa. And then we thrive because we're all working together the same way that we can't just all be a hand. Like I need my entire body to function healthy. And what he says is, is then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves or by the culture, or by the, whatever, the, the cultural norm, right? And blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, or the cornerstone, or the capstone, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each person, as each part does its work. Like, unified by this thing, he says, love. And that's what Jesus invites us into. So I have two questions, and then we're done, and I'm going to pray. And then we're going to close with some uh, a song. But um, these two questions, I think, would help shape us. So like, what comes to mind when you think of a Jesus household? So I started out with this idea of a household that we live in and the unspoken rules or the rules that maybe are on the wall, I don't know. Um, how do you picture Jesus' household? What kind of household would it be? If you stepped in in Jesus' apartment, what would it be like? What would you feel like? What do you think would take place in this kind of home? How would people speak to one another? How would he receive you in? What kind of hospitality would exist? So... Take some time to think through that. Like, what, what comes to mind when you think of a Jesus household? Because that's what we are, and that's what we're invited into. And then the second part is, what do you need, who do you need to invite into a Jesus household? And maybe you're already like, I know what that Jesus household looks like. I've experienced it. It's amazing. We thrive in that. Who do you need to invite into that then? And, and maybe it's this space here on a Sunday morning. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's... Uh, some place where you spend your time during the week, coffee shop, maybe it's conversations, maybe it's life group, maybe it's um, just getting lunch during the week with somebody. I don't know. Like, what are the, what's the, the space that you need to invite someone in? Who is it? And so I would just say write that person's name down, uh, begin to think about that person, begin to pray for that person, um, and, and be that kind of community that, that Jesus is inviting us into and that Peter is reminding us, like, hey, you guys are a royal priesthood. You're set apart. You're unique. This is a great community. The kind of community that you are is going to help people thrive. They're going to experience new life. And the world that's thrashing us is going to help 
you're, you're going to help them through that. You're going to help them see a better way, a better way to be a community and to be, um, yeah, the Jesus household. So let me pray for us as we, we step into that. Lord, we want to continue to be that kind of community that, um, that you invite us into, that you call us to. Uh, we want to learn from you, Jesus, what it means to be that kind of community. So uh, shape us, help us to get rid of the, the spaces in our lives where we are um, we're somehow being taught by the world what it means to be a community, or maybe we have ideas of what it, how it means to treat people. Um, Lord, reshape that. Help us to treat people with, uh, with respect and dignity and love, and help us to be the kind of spaces throughout the week that um, the households that can be inviting, that are inclusive, that help people to experience who you truly are, Jesus, and the life that we find in you. And so pray your Holy Spirit would go with us, each and every person here, as we step into the rest of this day and the rest of this week. And we pray this in your name. Amen.